Section 40 of Literary Lapses by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A, B, and C. The Human Element in Mathematics. The student of arithmetic, who has mastered the first four rules of his art, and successfully striven with money, sums, and fractions, finds himself confronted by an unbroken expanse of questions known as problems. These are short stories of adventure and industry, with the end omitted, and though betraying a strong family resemblance, are not without a certain element of romance. The characters in the plot of a problem are three people called A, B, and C. The form of the question is generally of this sort. A, B, and C do a certain piece of work. A can do as much work in one hour as B in two, or C in four. Find how long they work at it. Or thus, A, B, and C are employed to dig a ditch. A can dig as much in one hour as B can dig in two, and B can dig twice as fast as C find how long, etc., etc. Or after this wise. A lays a wager that he can walk faster than B or C. A can walk half as fast again as B, and C is only an indifferent walker. Find how far, and so forth. The occupations of A, B, and C are many and varied. In the older arithmetics they contented themselves with doing a certain piece of work. This statement of the case, however, was found too sly and mysterious, or possibly lacking in romantic charm. It became the fashion to define the job more clearly, and to set them at walking matches, ditch-digging, regattas, and piling cordwood. At times they became commercial and entered into partnership, having with their old mystery a certain capital. Above all, they revel in motion— when they tire of walking matches, A rides on horseback or borrows a bicycle and competes with his weaker-minded associates on foot. Now they race on locomotives, now they row, or again they become historical and engage stagecoaches, or at times they are aquatic and swim. If their occupation is actual work, they prefer to pump water into cisterns, two of which leak through holes in the bottom, and one of which is water-tight. A, of course, has the good one. He also takes the bicycle, and the best locomotive, and the right of swimming with the current. Whatever they do, they put money on it, being all three sports. A always wins. In the early chapters of the arithmetic, their identity is concealed under the names John, William, and Henry, and they wrangle over the division of marbles. In algebra, they are often called X, Y, Z. But these are only their Christian names, and they are really the same people. Now to one who has followed the history of these men through countless pages of problems, watched them in their leisure hours dallying with cordwood, and seen their panting sides heave in the full frenzy of filling a cistern with a leak in it, they become something more than mere symbols. They appear as creatures of flesh and blood, living men with their own passions, ambitions, and aspirations like the rest of us. Let us view them in turn. A is a full-blooded, blustering fellow, of energetic temperament, hot-headed and strong-willed. It is he who proposes everything, challenges B to work, makes the bets, and bends the others to his will. He is a man of great physical strength and phenomenal endurance. 
he has been known to walk forty-eight hours at a stretch, and to pump ninety-six. His life is arduous and full of peril. A mistake in the working of a sum may keep him digging a fortnight without sleep. A repeating decimal in the answer might kill him. B is a quiet, easy-going fellow, afraid of A and bullied by him, but very gentle and brotherly to little C, the weakling. He is quite in A's power, having lost all his money in bets. Poor C is an undersized, frail man with a plaintive face. Constant walking, digging, and pumping has broken his health and ruined his nervous system. His joyless life has driven him to drink and smoke more than is good for him, and his hand often shakes as he digs ditches. He has not the strength to work as the others can. In fact, as Hamlin Smith has said, A can do more work in one hour than C in four. The first time that I ever saw these men was one evening after a regatta. They had all been rowing in it, and it had transpired that A could row as much in one hour as B in two, or C in four. B and C had come in dead fagged, and C was coughing badly. "'Never mind, old fellow,' I heard B say. "'I'll fix you up on the sofa and get you some hot tea.' Just then A came blustering in and shouted, "'I say, you fellows, Hamlin Smith has shown me three cisterns in his garden,' and he says we can pump them until to-morrow night. I bet I can beat you both. Come on, you can pump in your rowing things, you know. Your cistern leaks a little, I think, C. I heard B growl that it was a dirty shame, and that C was used up now, but they went, and presently I could tell from the sound of the water that A was pumping four times as fast as C. For years after that I used to see them constantly about town, and always busy. I never heard of any of them eating or sleeping. Then owing to a long absence from home, I lost sight of them. On my return I was surprised to no longer find A, B, and C at their accustomed tasks. On inquiry I heard that work in this line was now done by N, M, and O, and that some people were employing for algebraic jobs for foreigners called Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta. Now it chanced one day that I stumbled upon old D in a little garden in front of his cottage, hoeing in the sun. D is an aged laboring man who used occasionally to be called in to help A, B, and C. Did I know em, sir? he answered. Why, I knowed em ever since they was little fellows in brackets. Master A, he were a fine lad, sir, though I always said, give me Master B for kind-heartedness like. Many's the job as we've been on together, sir, though I never did no racing or aught of that, but just the plain labor, as you might say. I'm getting a bit too old and stiff for it nowadays, sir. Just scratch about in the garden here and grow a bit of a logarithm, or raise a common denominator or two. But Mr. Euclid, he use me still for them propositions, he do." From the garrulous old man I learned the melancholy end of my former acquaintances. Soon after I left town, he told me, C had taken ill. It seems that A and B had been rowing on the river for a wager, and C had been running on the bank, and then sat in a draught. Of course the bank had refused the draught, and C was taken ill. A and B came up and found C lying helpless in bed. A shook him roughly and said, 
Get up, C, we're going to pile wood. C looked so worn and pitiful that B said, Look here, A, I won't stand this. He isn't fit to pile wood tonight. C smiled feebly and said, Perhaps I might pile a little if I sat up in bed. Then B, thoroughly alarmed, said, See here, A, I'm going to fetch a doctor. He's dying. A flared up and answered, You've no money to fetch a doctor. I'll reduce him to his lowest terms, B said firmly. That'll fetch him. C's life might even then have been saved, but they made a mistake about the medicine. It stood at the head of the bed on a bracket, and the nurse accidentally removed it from the bracket without changing the sign. After the fatal blunder, C seems to have sunk rapidly. On the evening of the next day, as the shadows deepened in the little room, it was clear to all that the end was near. I think that even A was affected at the last as he stood with bowed head, aimlessly offering to bet with the doctor on C's labored breathing. A, whispered C, I think I'm going fast. How fast do you think you'll go, old man? murmured A. I don't know, said C, but I'm going at any rate. The end came soon after that. C rallied for a moment and asked for a certain piece of work that he had left downstairs. A put it in his arms, and he expired. As his soul sped heavenward, A watched its flight with melancholy admiration. B burst into a passionate flood of tears and sobbed, put away his little cistern and the rowing clothes he used to wear, I feel as if I could hardly ever dig again. The funeral was plain and unostentatious. It differed in nothing from the ordinary, except that out of deference to sporting men and mathematicians, A engaged two hearses. Both vehicles started at the same time, B driving the one which bore the sable parallelopiped containing the last remains of his ill-fated friend. A on the box of the empty hearse generously consented to a handicap of a hundred yards, but arrived first at the cemetery by driving four times as fast as B. Find the distance to the cemetery. As the sarcophagus was lowered, the grave was surrounded by the broken figures of the Book of Euclid. It was noticed that after the death of C, A became a changed man. He lost interest in racing with B, and dug but languidly. He finally gave up his work and settled down to live on the interest of his bets. B never recovered from the shock of C's death. His grief preyed upon his intellect, and it became deranged. He grew moody and spoke only in monosyllables. His disease became rapidly aggravated, and he presently spoke only in words whose spelling was regular and which presented no difficulty to the beginner. Realizing his precarious condition, he voluntarily submitted to be incarcerated in an asylum, where he abjured mathematics and devoted himself to writing the history of the Swiss family Robinson in words of one syllable. End of section 40